Good morning. Thank you, David. Um, and thank you to Tom and Gary and all the participated so far. Um, it's time to go home. <laughs> uh, you know, some time ago, I, uh, I was talking to Pastor, and, and you know when you, when you get exuberant about something. And uh, I was talking to Pastor, and, and I said to him, I said, hey, Pastor, um, when you have an opportunity, I would, like to, uh, I would like to address the church sometime. And you know when you make those exuberant decisions, and then later on you say to yourself, what was I thinking about? <laughs> That's this moment. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, there is something I want to share with you. Uh, so why don't we have a word of prayer and, and, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, what a gorgeous day it is. And what a beautiful Sabbath day you've given us for us to praise you. And we want to do just that this morning. We ask that your spirit uh, may come down, may be felt among us, and it may fill us. It is my prayer. Amen. So the title of the sermon for to, to, to for this morning is fill it up. And my emphasis will be for us to think and spend some time thinking about how do we prepare for the end times. The lesson last quarter, I don't know if you remember, the lesson last quarter explored the subject that is very dear to us and that was the end times, if you remember that. Unfortunately, as a church, as a global church, we kind of tend to um, get busy sometimes with other things. And, and we put this message that we know, we kind of put it on the back burner and, and, and we forget about it from time to time. We're too busy. However, today, just today, I would like for just a moment to go back and review a small part of the message of how to prepare for the end times. It is a message of hope. It is a message of encouragement that we must keep fresh in our minds because we want to be ready for the end. I am sure that you're quite aware that times are changing. Have you noticed that? Changing very drastically. Um, today's world seems to be unapologetic, unapologetic about creating a culture of anger and anxiety in order to put me first. Have you noticed that? So many things are changing. Persecution, liberty, 
the magazine. Um, if you read that from time to time, you will see how the, the, the level of persecution in nations around the world is increasing. If you read South China Morning Post, May 17th this year, you read the story of Omir Bekali. Omir Bekali is a mushroom, as a mushroom, as a Muslim man, <laughs> is a Muslim man who came to back to China to visit his relatives. And while he was there, uh, he was picked up because of his beliefs. And in the story that he published, or that the, the newspaper published, it says that hour upon hour, day upon day, Omir and other detainees in far western China's new concentration camps had to disavow their Islamic beliefs, criticize themselves and their loved ones, and give thanks to the ruling Communist Party. He was able to leave the camp and did not want to talk about it because he still had family left in China. But when his mother and her sister were both picked up, he figured he would tell the story. We also see the influence of Rome, how it continues to infiltrate the United States government. I'm sure you remember very clearly uh, the story of uh, Ryan forcing out the house priest. Um, in February of uh, uh, February 6th of this year, the Daily Wire also published a different story of a Catholic priest calls for excommunication of senators who support late-term abortion. And it says that Father Dwight Longnecker is putting his foot down, demanding that the Catholic politicians who voice their support for evil, like evil like abortion, finally be expelled from the church. Does that put a little bit of pressure if you're a politician and you have to serve your church and serve the government? Things are changing. The question today for us is, how prepared are we? Jesus shared a simple story that gave us uh, much insight into our readiness for the end times. Why don't we read it again, uh, Matthew 25, 1 through 8. Matthew 25, 1 through 8, and I am reading from uh, the, the New King Version. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet their bridegroom. That sounds simple enough. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Oh. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. I'm going to stop there. I love how this experience was depicted in the Sabbath school lesson from last quarter for May 18th. And I'm going to share that particular day with you. It says, Jesus start, starts with praise of his uh, discourse. Uh, Jesus starts this phase of his discourse by talking about ten virgins. To be called virgins suggests they represented those who profess to be Christians. Anybody consider themselves Christian here today? Anybody? Anybody? This is you. This is you we're talking about. There's 10 of you. There's 10 of us. And, and let me preface whatever else I'm going to say here by saying that as you prepare a topic, you find out that this stuff applies to me more than to anybody else. So when I say this is you, it's because I've already had my share, okay? <laughs> so Jesus starts the face of his discourse by talking about the ten virgins, and these are people who are called Christians. They are not on Satan's side of the controversy, they are likened to the kingdom of heaven. But in the end, they all slept. Hmm. They all slept. Christ had already warned about keeping uh, watch in Matthew 24, 42. He talked about uh, stay awake and watch. Or staying, awake, uh, or staying awake so they would not be uh, unready when he returns. All ten of the virgins had lamps, and all went out to meet the bridegroom, which, uh, which means that they were all looking forward to his coming. Interesting, isn't it? We are all looking forward to his coming. There was a delay, and all of these believers in his coming fell asleep. Um, sleep is a wonderful thing. Uh, I love to sleep. Um, as a young man, I would travel to school and back, and I had to take the, the, the bus, uh, public transportation, and I would go sit way out in the back. And it was not rare, the occasion, that the bus driver had to come wake me up because the bus got all the way to its final destination and I was still sleeping in the back. <laughs> uh, several occasions he just said forget it, left the bus running and me sitting in the back sleeping, wake up and nobody in the bus, okay, I guess it's time to go. <laughs> but this is not the kind of sleep that we are talking about, nor the kind of sleep we should be having. But it says that we were all asleep. 
Suddenly, in the dead of night, they all awoke. The bridegroom was coming. This is us, the people at the end time, Laodiceans, all portrayed in Revelation 3.17. Did you get what the text did not say? Did you get it? It did not say that a street vendor came by and woke us up to sell us some more oil. It did not say that before we slumbered, one of the ones that had oil said, hey, you don't have enough oil, you better go get some. It didn't say that. If this is us, you and I who are here already may have enough oil in our lamps. If this is us, you and I who are here may already not have enough oil in our lamps. I don't know how you feel about that, but that scares the hebejibis out of me. And the scary part about all that is that we're doing nothing about it because we're asleep. We're doing absolutely nothing about it. So does that mean that our lots have been cast? Does that mean that those who are going to be saved are already prepared to be saved or those that are not going to be saved are already prepared not to be saved? The foolish virgins were startled, unprepared. One version says our lamps are gone out. Other version, like the one I just read here today, says our lamps are going out. There was still a flickering flame. They still had a little oil, but not enough to be prepared to meet Christ. I love how the writer of the lesson puts this next statement. Very simple. He says, what then is the problem? What is the problem? These virgins represent Christians from all denominations who are waiting to, for Christ to return, but who have superficial experience with him. They have some oil, some working of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but it is merely flickering. They were satisfied with little when they, us, needed much more. Do we have a superficial experience with Christ in our lives? 
Christ Object Lessons, page 411 says, the spirit works upon man's heart according to his desire and consent, implanting in him a new nature. But the class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with a superficial work. They do not know God. They have not studied his character. They have not held communion with him. Therefore, they do not know how to trust, how to look and live. Their service to God denigrates into a form. Have you ever heard of a group of people who had a form of worship that they were so content with their form that nothing else mattered? Makes me think of the Pharisees back in Bible days. People who walked with Jesus, people who talked with Jesus, who saw his miracles, but they were so entrenched in how to worship that they knew worship more than they knew God, and there is nothing that is going to change their minds. Too comfortable. I come to church, I sit in my pew, and you know where my pew is, right? That corner over there, right there. <laughs> I pray, I sing, I give my offering, I stay awake during the service, and I go home. Is that my form? What is your form? Is it a good form, bad form? Stay awake? We, are, we become so routine that we forget who Jesus is. Again, I ask the question, what then is the problem? Where is the oil that we are missing? How do we fill our lamps? How do we fill our lamps? I'm going to propose three areas that uh, or three steps that we may consider as we look for ways how to fill our lamps. And you can read more about this. You can study this. You can look and search it. I'm, I'm quoting here from uh, the 27th chapter of the Great Controversy. And it says, many of the revivals, uh, the, the, the first step is revival. Okay. It is revival of a church, but a church doesn't revive itself. It's one person at a time. That's you, that's me, each person at a time. It says, many of the revivals of modern times have presented a marked contrast to those manifestations of divine grace in which early, in which early days followed by labors of God's servant. In other words, God's servants were working to help people understand who Jesus was, and that created revival. Somehow that's not what happens today. Popular revival today, popular revivals today are often carried out by appeals to the imagination, by exciting the emotion, by gratifying the love for what is new and startling. Have you ever seen that? 
We got to have a real slick video presentation. Uh, we got to have a, a mass appeal, and we have all kinds of, of trinkets and, 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 and stuff to motivate people to be revived. And at the end of the day, they walk out the door somewhat the same way they came in. Unless a religious service has something of sensational character, it has no attraction for us. Um, have you seen that? We spend time thinking about how do we as a church become relevant. Well, let's serve, let's serve uh, drinks out in the back. Or, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying these are um, little mechanisms that we use to try to entice people to be revived and participate. However, those mechanisms do not necessarily teach us who God is. There is no evidence of genuine repentance unless it works reformation. Think about that for a minute. When we become all, all tangled up in all these elaborate schemes that we form, where is the evidence that my life is changing? That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. I remember uh, um, some years ago, uh, Kevin and I had, were blessed with the ability to go to to uh, 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 Manaus in Brazil. And over there, uh, just about every other corner had a church. It wasn't a big church. It was maybe four sticks with a roof and no walls. And people were convinced that God was the creator. People were in fire, on fire, because they were learning who God was. There was no coffee being served, no chocolate being served, no cookies being served. The music was loud because they had big speakers and the whole neighborhood heard whatever they were saying. It doesn't take much. It just takes a willing heart. Notwithstanding the widespread of declension of faith and piety. And, and, and the word declension means uh, notwithstanding the number of people who are leaving the churches, which is not a problem just in this denomination. It is a problem in every denomination. People are leaving the churches. It says, notwithstanding the widespread declension of faith and piety, there are true followers of Christ in every church, that before the final visitation of God's judgment upon the earth, they will be among the people of the Lord. Such a revival of primitive godliness has had not been witnessed since apostolic times. Wow. Did you, did you get that one? Are you following what we're saying here? It says there's still time. It says that even though five were 
bright and smart and brought extra oil, and five were not so bright, there's still time. Reminds me of when Jesus took Moses to the hill and he showed him a vision of Israel and he says, that's the promised land. That's that's the promised land. That's where your people are going to live and this is where they're going to live like. And and Moses saw the Israelites living and, and, and farming and living in peace. And yet that is not what happened. People had a choice. Here we see two sets of virgins, wise and foolish. And we're being told the bridegroom is coming. And these are the two groups that are going to be there. And it's somewhat done deal. But yet, here we hear again, there is still chance. There is still a chance. Revival is what we need today. The current revival, the church revival begins with personal revival. When we become distracted from the presence of God in our lives, our relationship with God becomes out of focus. Have you ever been to a carnival? This time of year is the prime time for carnivals, isn't it? And as you walk through the street on a carnival, you, you, you see that the, the, there's so much stimulus, sound, visual, smell, taste. All the stimulus are there. And as you're walking down the, 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 the street there, you are caught by this one thing, and as you're looking at this thing, you hear something else, and you have to turn, don't you? You have to turn, that's how it is. You lose sight of the one thing, and you focus on something else, and, and as you're doing that, mm, something smells wonderful. And you lose, you lose sight. That's just one carnival. Imagine that the entire world is a carnival trying to get your attention away from Jesus. That's how it is. Many of the tricks of an illusionist or a magician are done by taking your attention from one hand as they are doing something with the other hand. They know how to get you to lose your focus. Imagine if the evil one would, would be much more wiser than any magician you find. How easily it is for him to take your attention away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, says the song. The Spanish translation is a little bit more pointed, and it says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Don't just turn your eyes. You fix them and you keep them there. Nothing else is significant. The family member that caused me pain and anger, not important. 
The church member that came dressed without asking for my approval, not important. The co-worker that mocked my faith in Christ, not important. This disjointed sermon that didn't make any sense to most of us, not important. Not important because I am consumed with his glory, his mercy, his love, his desire to save me. Focus on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He can fill your oil. Point number two is the law of God. In the truth of his word, God has given to man a revelation of himself. Hmm. We can see the character of God with the pages, within the pages of the book we hold in our hands frequently. It is there for our illumination, instruction, and guidance that we may know him personally. However, something has happened that has caused the power of the Spirit and the power of God to be lacking in our revivals and in our churches. Here is that secret, if you would like to know what that is. What that something is. Simple. The neglect of the truth, the lack of study, the abandonment of his word. Oof. I'm telling you, I got my share already. I got my share. And you do need to hear this. It is the neglect of the truth, the lack of study, and the abandonment of his word has opened the door for confusion to become widespread, leading to the apathy and mistrust of his word. Have you noticed that in churches? You know, it's, it's so easy to get confused when we are not solidly planted. Someone says something, somebody says another thing. You know what? That, that almost makes sense. That, does that make sense? That almost makes sense. Yeah, but is it Bible-based? Yeah, it is Bible-based. You know, it's, 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 it, well, it's almost Bible-based. It's, there's a couple of things in there. And little by little, because we don't come back and study it daily, we get quite confused. You know, I'm not, not sure. I had somebody tell me once at this church, you know, I, I, I have gone through this part and I've understood this. It's like nobody really knows what the real thing is. I just have a hard time. Go back, my friends. Go back and study it. It is clear. It is very clear. Ask the Spirit to lead you. The nature and importance of the law of God have been, to a great extent, lost sight of. The character, the perpetuity, and the obligation of the divine law has been twisted for lack of study. 
Do you agree with, do you agree with any of this that I'm saying here? Do you understand what I'm saying? By disparaging and deprecating the nature and importance of the law, sin is thus acceptable as a natural way of life. Wow. You know, little by little, as we get confused, you know what? I'm okay with this, and I'm okay with that, and, and I'm going to go a little farther. I'm okay with and You know what? It's in the church. Everybody else does it. So, uh, so what if I'm not in the, in, in, in living within the law? I'm, I'm close enough. I'm, I'm in it, you know? I still carry the name, and I do through the form of worship. I, I do all the things. I'm, I'm still in it. Foolish virgins and wise virgins. When we fail to recognize the importance of the law, we also fail to value the great price paid for our redemption. My man, you've heard this story. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it this week. Those kids that are stuck in a cave. You've heard that story? Those of you who haven't heard it, uh, come out from under your rock. <laughs> Read something every now and then. Um, but these kids are stuck in a cave because they're one, they went wandering. The, rays, the, 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 the rains came and flooded the cave and they can't get out. They are so far in there and in so much trouble, they don't even understand clearly how much trouble they're in. Nine days of no food and no way to get out, finally somebody finds them, and they're still in trouble because they can't figure out how to still get them out. Yesterday I read that one of the rescuers lost his life trying to figure out how to get them out. My friends, we, in the condition that we live today, we are farther in than those kids are in the sin that we live in today in this world. I am sorry for you saints. I'm sorry for me. I'm also a saint, and I think I got it all figured out. But I am so far in I can't even understand how deep I am. Only by understanding the law of God can we appreciate the sacrifice that Christ has made to come, give his life, and dig us out of that deep cave, that deep mess that we worked ourselves into. There is value in forgiveness only when we understand the nature and origin of the law of God. The law that was given to light our way the law that was given for us to live a full life in joy and praise has now turned around to use that same law to point to our sins, 
to point to our inability to be saved. That same law is being used against us. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, the sting of death, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Go figure. How does that happen? The power of sin is the law. Think about that for a little bit. If you are going to be accused of something and taken to a court, would it be beneficial for you to fully understand the law behind the stuff that you're being accused of? Would it be beneficial? That's why you hire an attorney, because they know the law, but you don't. My friends, when we understand the law, we understand what we are being accused of. And we have our attorney that stands behind us and says, you go show them. You go show them. The law, my friends, is life-giving. It seems like with anything else humans get their hands on, even when something is meant for good, it is turned for bad. As we become convicted by his law, we come to understand that his judgment is severe. The law is ready to bury us if we go far into that cave. It is severe and it is deserved. When then we then appreciate the greatness of his mercy bestowed upon us. I, I, I hope you can understand, I hope you appreciate what the law means so that you can go and understand it for yourself. Read it, study it, understand it. The study, meditation, and delight in his law fill your oil. Point number three is sanctification. Um, Sanctification. When we spend daily time in his word, when we learn about his law of love, when we let his knowledge lead our lives, then we cannot help, we cannot help it, but be sanctified. And you say, what are you saying, Afif? Are you, are you going crazy? My friends, Bible sanctification is a biblical concept. Are you awake and are you listening? Bible sanctification is a biblical concept. Let me... <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians church, declares, this is the will of God 
even your sanctification. And he prayed, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Well, yeah, faith, that sounds good, but that doesn't say that, that's, that the Bible can sanctify me. Thessalonians 4.3 says, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me try that again. John 17.17. 17. John 17.17 17 says, Jesus praying for his disciples. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. And thy word is what? Truth. So if you are in the word, you become sanctified. Sanctification, what does it mean? It just means to dedicate your life to God, commitment to God. Be connected. Understand everything. Sanctification through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when we spend daily time in his word, when we learn about his law of God, when we let his knowledge lead our lives, so in other words, we, we learn this stuff, but it's got to have effect. It can't be just put on over the top and I got it and I can take it off here and okay, I, I put it on to go to work, to go to church. Okay, I'm at church. I take it off and I go to work and I got something else on now. Hey, I'm good now. No, it has to be inside. When that stuff is inside, we cannot help but be sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. The righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth. That says Psalms. Psalms 119.142 says, the law is truth. His word is truth. And truth will sanctify you. Truth will sanctify me. Second Peter 1 5 through 10, he establishes there the steps to sanctification. It says, faith, I'm paraphrasing, virtue, one leads to another, one builds on another. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, Godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. These are the steps to the progressive work of sanctification guided by the Holy Spirit. This also will fill your oil. If you, by chance, read the little thing that we sent on Tuesdays. You heard me tell you the story of uh, a co-worker and her husband is, uh, deals with a number of issues, health issues, and so he's at home and she's at, uh, at work and during the day they exchange phone calls quite frequently so that she can keep 
an eye on him and see how things are going. And, and this particular day in the, in the afternoon, two or so, she calls him up and he didn't answer. And um, she, um, she figured, well, he often goes, takes a nap and leaves the phone in the living room or, or goes outside. And so I'll try him a little later. Uh, but she had some errands to run that afternoon. So after work, she left and she called him again, no answer. But she went ahead, ran her errands. And by the time she gets home, it's past six. Uh, she started calling at around 3, or 2.30 or 3. And um, she gets home, and she finds him slumped in a chair, fast asleep. She could not wake him up. She had to shake him vigorously to wake him up so that they could go to the doctor. He was having some kind of reaction to a medication. He had a condition. My question, what is your condition? What is my condition? Because this today, this is your shake-up call. This is your shake-up. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming. 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 If you haven't heard it lately, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is no joke. Jesus is coming. 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 Jesus is coming.